Hey everyone, I'm Israel Fair, and you're listening to Bring Your A-Game, the Yahoo Canada Sports Podcast. This week on the podcast, it's uh, Joe Cacharo, the supervising NBA editor at The Score, and it's a good time to have him on. The trade deadline in the NBA uh, passed yesterday afternoon at uh, uh, 3 o'clock, yesterday being Thursday, so we're recording this on uh, Friday afternoon, and Joe, uh, thank you for taking the time to do this. Yeah, man, it's, uh, it's a pleasure. Thanks for having me. I'm pumped to do it. All right, so let's get into the nitty-gritty with the Raptors, because they were picked by a lot of people as one of the teams to watch heading into the deadline, had a few pieces that the people felt they could move, were one of those teams that, based on their play this season, looked like a team that could be identified as, uh, I think a lot of people like to say in the NBA, as being potentially a piece away. But the deadline came and went, and no moves for the Raptors. How how did you react to that? I mean, I guess... Yeah, it was a little disappointing to see just given the fact that they kind of seem like they're on the precipice of true contention for like the first time in franchise history. But at the same time, um, I'm not sure. I can't remember if it was Ken Berger, but someone reported it yesterday with maybe like an hour to go in the deadline that they were dangling Patterson and that Knicks pick, the first rounder, which is probably going to be a top 10 pick. So when you think about it like that, I mean, it definitely sounds like they tried to get better. And the way I look at it is that if that's really what they were dangling, to me, that's probably too much to give up for one of the guys like Thaddeus Young or even a Ryan Anderson or anything like that. But if Atlanta, for example, wanted more than that for Al Horford, then then it's good that the Raptors didn't pull the trigger because you know Al Horford, for as good as he is, and he's probably the best target that was out there at the deadline, is a rental for two months unless you can guarantee that you're going to resign him. Which you know, to, and that's the thing too. And then if you think you have a shot to sign someone in the offseason, you can play around with the cap and get yourself space. Like, you don't really have to give up Patterson and a first rounder right now for a two month rental. And they still have the pick that they can move. It's not like they uh, they can't trade that pick uh, until they have it all all the way up until until the draft and exactly they keep that asset. Uh, I totally agree with you. I wrote the same thing yesterday. For me, it didn't make sense to give up, and good for them for at least being willing to to include that pick and take right. that risk for for whatever reason. But the the, the return is wasn't going to make them uh, any any better. Maybe I mean, like a guy like Thad Young uh, compared to Patrick Patterson is probably uh, a slightly better basketball player in the grand scheme of things. But in terms of fit, uh, he's not going. To, you're not going to run your offense through Thad Young. Uh, with the guys that are already on this team, and he is not a good three-point shooter. So in, in that sense, it would be a little bit of a downgrade. And, and sure, Ryan Anderson would have been a nice fit, but uh, I, I think just overall, the guys that they were linked to, Ryan Anderson, Thad Young, Kenneth Fareed, Taj Gibson, uh, and even Markeith Morris, who was traded to, from Phoenix to Washington, just it wasn't going to make enough of a difference for this team going forward, especially this season. Yeah, exactly. I think... I think Thad Young and Ryan Anderson would have made them a little better, um, especially Ryan Anderson. But I, do, I think the only move that was there to make that actually would give them a chance to potentially, you know, beat a team like Cleveland and get to the finals was the Al Horford trade. Yep. And, and you know, it, it sounds like Patterson in a first wasn't enough to do that, which is fair, I guess. But it's also fair that the Raptors didn't offer more for two months of a guy. 
So what that would have been your maximum on an Al Horford trade, Patterson, and that first, which yeah, does, I mean, does I, have some value. Yeah, I guess obviously to match salaries and and make the deal legal, they probably would have had to throw in some more salary. I assume right. I haven't actually checked it on the trade machine, but uh, yeah, to me, I, I could uh, you know I could have stomached that. You give up Patterson, you give up a first, you're getting an All Star in return, a guy. Um, that's been a perennial all-star now. He's automatic from the mid-range. He's a good two-way big man, and and he's probably a natural power forward who's been playing out of position his whole career. Uh, so I do think that you know adding Horford to Lowry and to Rosen and and getting Carroll back to me that's a team that that can probably win the East, um, but it's still not a team that can win a championship. So you know to give up some pretty significant assets to potentially get to the finals and have a guy for maybe two months and nothing more that's it's a lot to give up and for that reason it's it's why they did nothing and who knows uh, with the the buyout season coming could they be interested in, in getting a guy of course they would have to trim someone from the roster that guy probably would be anthony bennett and we don't know uh how much they're they're really invested in, in having him here for the future but I want to get your thoughts on the fan base's reaction because it does seem that there's a portion of the Raptors fan base that is really disappointed that there was no move made, even one of those minor upgrades uh, in a guy like a Thaddeus Young. What do you make of the, the fan base's reaction to the no no movement before the deadline? I mean, I think I think any time a fan base goes into a deadline um, expecting something, and especially especially this fan base, you know, everything that the last 21 years have wrought uh, to get to this point where you see a team that's on pace for pretty much 55 wins and, and not a true contender, but kind of on the fringe. I think it's understandable that they're frustrated, they're disappointed, but I think there's a, there's a reasonable way to be disappointed if that makes sense. And that's like I said, you know, you can be disappointed that nothing came to fruition or that you know, the packages they put together weren't enough. You can be disappointed that maybe Atlanta wanted too much for Al Horford. But I don't think you can be, you know, angry at Masai or angry or, or think that they did something wrong by not doing anything. I think the disappointment should just come from the fact that there were a number of reasons why nothing happened, but it wasn't necessarily Masai or the team's fault. Right. For sure. And um, I think that once the games start getting going again, and that's kind of uh, the odd, the, the little difference now with the, the longer break after the All-Star break and where the trade deadline fell this year is that there haven't been Raptor games for, for over a week now. And uh, yeah. I think once the games start going, I think people are going to remember that this is, and I wonder if you agree with me, they are right now as presently constituted the second best team in the Eastern Conference. Yeah, and, and I don't think it's very close either. Um, you know, I know the easy thing to say is, well, uh, wait to the playoffs. Well, like right now it's February. It's not the playoffs. Yes. We're in the middle of the regular season, and they've been quite clearly the second-best team in the East. Um, they've done it while you know losing some pretty significant – Like they're, I don't know if you've ever checked the site, uh, Man Games Lost. I know it's just one resource out there, but basically what it, it, it not only tracks Man Games Lost by teams, but it tries to use some of the basketball reference data like uh, win shares and value over replacement to determine the actual value of the games you've lost to players. And the Raptors have been pretty much like in the top 10 all season in terms of the value of their games lost to injuries because of guys like Carroll and JV missing significant time. So when you really look at it, you look at the record and what they've been able to do, the road record, the fact that they're back to being a top 10 team on both ends of the floor. Like this is a really good team. And, 
and they have a shot to potentially get to the East final for the first time in franchise history. It's not the end of the world that they didn't tinker with that. And and getting a healthy Carroll back, maybe it's wishful thinking to expect a guy who has mid-season knee surgery to come back and be at his absolute best. But if this team gets anything close to peak Damari Carroll back for the stretch run, like that in itself is a significant upgrade and, and maybe better than any upgrade any team made in the, at the deadline. Okay, I want to get to Carroll in a minute. But first, I think we both know and can look at the numbers and tell people that this team is better than the team that they had last year at this point despite a similar record but for the people out there that are still frustrated and that just look at a team's record and are a little confused as to why this Raptors team is better than the team last year what would you point to the two or three things that you would tell someone uh, that gives proof that this Toronto Raptors team is better than the team uh, at this point last year uh, I think one major thing, and it's so simple, but it really is huge, is the health of Kyle Lowry. Uh, I think it was painfully obvious, pretty much, not even at the All-Star break, but I'd say by like January last season, that Lowry wasn't healthy anymore and wasn't the same, and he just kind of got worse as the season went on. Uh, so I'd say his health. Uh, DeMar DeRozan is almost a different player than he was last year. I mean, his the style in his game is pretty much the same. He, may, he might be driving a little more, getting to the free throw line more. He's taking a few more threes, but his overall body, it's the same game, just so much better. And I think he's um, just been a lot smarter. Yeah, that, that's the thing too, right? Like he's he's replaced some of those long twos with threes, some of them with drives. Defensively, he looks smarter and he's reading the game better. Um, he's a much better player than he was 12 months ago. Kyle Lowry's healthy, and Kyle, a healthy Kyle Lowry has proven the last two or three years, he's probably like a top 15, at worst, top 20 player in the league. Um, they have a roster that can actually defend this season, whereas last year they were logging more than half the game with Vasquez and Lou Williams on the court. Um, there, there's a, so many reasons why this team is better and more built for the playoffs. They also changed the way they play defense that fits this roster and specifically fits Valanciunas in particular, Yeah. where last year they had him hedging out to the perimeter to try to guard pick and rolls, and he just can't do that. So there's just a number of reasons why this team, to me, is better and they will be better and should be better prepared for the playoffs. Uh, I mean, having said that, who knows what happens with matchups. But, uh, you know, I, I don't think it's fair to just say, well, you know, it's mostly the same team as last year and they lost in the first round again. So that's what's going to happen. Well, that's just that's what we do uh, in sports. Right. So it's that's the basic analysis. Before we get to matchups, regular season, the Raptors are comfortably in that two seed, but which team do you look at? And especially considering what happened over the trade deadline, uh, the big moves were made by Detroit, who are a ways back. And then the, the risky big move was made by the Wizards and getting Markeith Morris. And they're currently out of the playoffs. Which yeah. team do you think is the biggest threat, if there is one out there, to, uh, to taking over uh, the two seed from Toronto? Yeah, I mean, I think you hit it on the head when you said if there is one, because I'm not sure there is. I think the big, the big thing was what Boston would do, right? They've got that boatload of assets um, and, and one of the deepest teams in the league in that they're doing what they're doing on depth and really good coaching. Yeah. Uh, they still need a true star with all due respect to Isaiah Thomas and, and you know, Team Short. Yes, um, absolutely. Hashtag uh, Team Short. Yeah, HDMH. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, no, I mean, the Celtics to me were, were scary because they could they, – they could and they can still make it in the summer. They can make a move to land a true star and add him to that depth and add him to Brad Stevens, and then they can climb up to East. But 
they didn't do anything to get better. They're still the same team. Atlanta didn't tear it down, but you know, they're I think they're like six games back of the Raptors right now. So it would take either a pretty monumental collapse from Toronto or a pretty ridiculous run by like Boston, Atlanta, Miami's banged up again. Indiana, you know, they're not good enough to get to fifty wins. And then you're looking down like Charlotte, Chicago, Detroit, Washington, these teams are in the seven to ten range. So to me, if it wasn't gonna be Boston, I don't think anyone's catching this Raptors team for second. But that doesn't change uh, because I, I agree. I, I don't see anyone catching them. But there are some teams in that six, seven, eight range uh, that could present potential matchup problems in the playoffs. So while they won't catch them in the regular season, the East, uh, as we've seen all season, has been very varied from from top to bottom, except for the, the really bottom there with uh, with the Sixers and Brooklyn. Which team out there do you see as the the biggest matchup problem right now? Oh, it has to be Chicago. It has to be Chicago. Um, that would like you know some coworkers and I were talking about that too, and I think we were talking about it actually when we saw each other at All Star Weekend. Yeah, uh, it would be so Raptors. Like just the this fan base's luck too. <laughs> you get a team that this team could win fifty five games and finish second, and they'll get the Bulls in the first round. And somehow Derrick Rose will be like the healthiest he's been in years. Yeah, you know, or like. Jimmy Butler will score 40 and a half or 50 and a half, whatever the hell he scored against them earlier this season. Uh, yeah, uh, Chicago's definitely the team that scares me out of those ones. I know some people will point to Charlotte because of the past struggles and, and you know, even getting Courtney Lee. They have some guys that can defend DeMar, but they don't frighten me that much. Detroit, obviously, now could be a problem. Um. And I guess, based on JV's history, like the Reggie Jackson, Andre Drummond pick and roll might might destroy him. Uh, yeah, I'd say Chicago is so definitely... So Chicago's in its tier, a tier of its own, in your eyes. Yeah, and then I'd say if there's one other team that, that now might worry me as a potential 7 seed in a 2-7 matchup, it would be Detroit. Assuming that Damari Carroll comes back and he's still reportedly uh, a couple couple weeks away, minimum, uh, to even getting back to practice, and then you think you, you get, I don't know, he, he gets somewhere close to, to a month uh, to get the rust off and get ready for the playoffs. How much of an impact do you see him potentially having if he's, I don't know, I don't think we can assume that he'll be 100%. But we, we have to think that for, for them to, to clear him, and uh, he's thrown out some of these numbers. Of course, they're all very arbitrary, but somewhere between 70 80%, 90% uh, on the high end. What kind of impact can he have on this team? I think as long as he's healthy enough to competently guard um, you know, the opposing team's best perimeter player, best scorer, whatever it is, I think that in in itself is going to help this team because that means, you know, that's at least a few minutes a night where a guy like DeMar doesn't have to do it, a few minutes a night where a guy like Terrence, who as as well as he's played the last couple months, you know, Terrence Ross still can't guard the bigger scoring forwards in the league. Um, and, and any minutes you can steal from those guys having to do it is a win for this team. Um, so that's the way I see it. I see it as if he's... If he's healthy enough to do that, this team gets better automatically. And that's the reason that they brought him in in the offseason, obviously, and not knowing that the, that these injuries would would come up. Uh, that's, that's the reasoning behind the moves, and I think that if he does come back healthy 
and returns to that form that while I do think there were some concerns offensively in terms of, of him fitting in, uh, the, they did bring him in for, for the defensive purposes. Right. And I think one thing offensively, I agree with you, there was definitely some struggles. And he seemed to be struggling a bit creating his own offense a few times where it looked really forced. Whereas yeah. in Atlanta, you know, it was created for him. They do a really good job of creating, you know, open corner threes and things like that. Uh, but I think one way Carroll, a healthy Carroll, can help the team too is, offensively is he allows them to be a little more creative with smaller lineups, which, you know, as everyone knows, are all the rage in the NBA right now. Um, you know, Carroll at the four, uh, I think it was the beginning of the season, the first few weeks, the Raptors were really killing teams late in games with a finishing lineup that had Carroll at the four and JV at the five. Yes. Uh, and now they it's can the do, bench they lineup. can do a lot of. That's right. Now it's the Lowry plus bench lineup that that just murders teams. Actually, that Lowry uh, that Lowry bench lineup, the Lowry, Joseph, Ross, Patterson, Biombo lineup. I think it is. Yeah. I think uh, the last time I had checked, a couple days before the break, of all the lineups in the league that had logged at least 140 minutes, they were by far the number one lineup in the entire NBA by net rating. Yeah, they've uh, been really good. Yeah, it wasn't very close either. Like that that lineup has been an absolute murder. Uh, but yeah, getting back to Carroll, I see uh, offensively, I do think he can help. And I think it's by allowing them to go smaller and getting kind of funky with their lineups. The problem with that bench unit is that it comes and it, it's playing and it's thriving at a time when you typically would rest your star player, your number one guy, and that being Kyle Lowry, uh, at the start of the second quarter, at the start of the fourth quarter. And it's not the only reason, but it has led to, to Lowry playing increased minutes over the last six to eight weeks. Is that a concern for you? Is that something that should be Dwayne Casey's number one priority in, in getting a little more creative and finding some more time to rest Kyle Lowry? Because you don't want to mess with, with that lineup given how successful it's been. Yeah, I mean, I don't know if it should be his number one priority, but it should definitely be a priority. Uh, like we just talked about a few minutes ago, like, you know, watching Lowry break down was one of, if not the biggest reason, this team collapsed last year. Um, they need him to be absolutely 100%, if not close to it. And and playing, you know, 40 minutes in a game that they end up winning by 20, uh, you know, isn't helping that cause. I think, you know, I don't know if he's got, if Dwayne's got to tinker with when Lowry comes out of the game or, what, you know, like the way he manages his, his rotation of minutes throughout the game. But I definitely think he's going to be a little more lenient, especially like we talked about when they've got this, you know, they're most likely not going to catch Cleveland. That's fine. But they've got like a five-game lead pretty much or, you know, six games in the loss column on Boston for third. They have a little bit of rope to play with. And they got a if bunch of home up, games coming up too. Exactly. And, and, yeah, like not the toughest schedule. If you're up 12, I get – I understand that it's easier for us to say because we're not the ones with our jobs on the line, you know, with every game. And, and Dwayne Casey is in a pressure-packed year. But, listen, like you're in a very comfortable spot right now. If you're up 12 with two or three minutes left, just get him out of the game, you know? Hey, if the other team makes a run, then put him back in. But you can afford to not have him in the game when you're up 18 with five minutes left or you're up 20 at the beginning of the fourth. The rest of the league, just like the Raptors, wasn't really active. Did that surprise you at all, given that there were some some pretty big names in, in reports from credible reporters heading into the deadline? Yeah, it, I, I, it definitely surprised me because last year... You know, the NBA used to be traditionally the league that had the quiet deadline, but then last year it kind of blew itself out of the water. 
And this year, there was even more names, you know, in trade rumors. And it seemed to be there was like a disgruntled guy on almost every team. Uh, so it surprised me that there was a lot of guys that didn't move. Um, but, you know, Masai talked about it, too. There's there's a lot of uncertainty, man, coming up with, you know, whether it's the, the way the cap's going to explode or the CBA in general, how it's changed things. So I think this summer is going to be, you know, where all of the action is. And I think that's that's probably why. It was a quieter deadline, and I also think, you know, the Hawks ended up deciding to stand pat instead of tearing it down. I think that had a lot to do with it as well, because you saw, I think it was the night before the deadline, there was reports that the the market was kind of waiting on Atlanta. Right, they would they would have been that first domino, and had right. they decided to move Al Horford, it's it's the same thing we see in free agency, right? The 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 top guy sets the market, and the rest follows, and. I guess uh, it could have been a very different deadline had Atlanta decided to move Al Horford or, or move Jeff Teague. Exactly. Uh, actually, one one thing you mentioned buyout season earlier. I think uh, you know everyone's looking for a stretch four. Maybe it's time you guys dust out those Barnyani. <laughs> That's the first thing I thought when you said when you said buyout season. We were talking stretch fours because you know. Well, there, I, brought, there I brought is that a, up to a there's couple a, people. There's right? a stretch big guy. man out there who doesn't actually stretch the floor and hasn't for like six years. <laughs> could be a good uh, could be a good time just oh, bringing him back man. for old time's sake. Hopefully they didn't delete any of those uh, primo pasta commercials. They could just no, no, slot those. Right delete back them. In. Delete them. Are you kidding me? They have to go pull them out of those Canadian heritage like museums. <laughs> there's no way those have been deleted. Those you'd have to pull from oh, like man. some government vault where they've been, you know maintained for historical purposes i want to ask you about all-star given that we were both fortunate enough to be there yes uh, what a weekend it was it was a really unbelievable weekend but for you i'm not from toronto i'm from vancouver but i, I love basketball but i was wondering as a torontonian someone that's followed the raptors for pretty much their entire existence did this weekend having the center, having Toronto be the center of the NBA universe, mean anything special to you? Man, it meant everything. It meant everything. Um, it's you know, I think for so 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 long, um, you know, never mind Toronto as a city, but as a basketball market, and, and whether you're talking Toronto or Canada, I think there there really was an inferiority complex, and I think. For so long, there was this this sense of, oh, you know, there's a Raptors game on TNT, or what, I mean, what are the Americans saying about us? What are the Americans saying about Toronto? But it's not, it wasn't even necessarily about the Raptors, and, oh, well, please respect the community group. It was more just, you know, what do they think of us? What do they think of the city as a basketball market? Uh, why do they think we're kind of like a small town instead of this, like, cosmopolitan city? And I think over time... Between, uh, to be honest with you, between Drake's like cultural impact, um, between the Raptors actually getting better, between the size arrival, the whole Weeb North movement, um, everything, Kyle Lowry, it, it all kind of started coming together. Where I think the fan base in Toronto and across Canada got to a point where there was no longer this inferiority complex, and it was more along the lines of. You know, we don't really care what other people think anymore because we, we, we see and we know we're in one of the hottest basketball markets on earth now. And we're producing talent, not just, you know, watching a good team represent the city, but we're actually producing, you know, top-notch star talent that you see with Andrew Wiggins and 
you know, Jamal Murray coming out now. Um, and then I think what this weekend was was kind of like the, the culmination of all that. Where now it was us, you know, the city welcoming the basketball world and being like, we have all that time that we just wanted your attention. Now we're sitting, well, it's almost like now, listen, like you come here, you're lucky to come here and be part of this. Um, so that's kind of the way I saw it. You know, there was, I remember, um, and I just started thinking about this as we were talking, but I remember when, when Vince won the dunk contest back in, in 2000 or 2001, whenever it was, and I can't remember who it was on the broadcast said something along the lines of, but like, this wasn't a dunk contest, this was, this was a coronation. That's kind of how I felt about the weekend for Toronto as a basketball market. Some people were calling it, like, a coming out party. Some people were calling it this, that. That's what it was to me. To me, it wasn't any of that. It was a coronation. It was the final, kind of the final step um, to Toronto's arrival as, as an absolute, like, basketball hotbed. Maybe not the Mecca like New York is, but definitely, you know, a Mecca. I think what you just said about it's not just the the Raptors' success, but people really keying in on the growth and development of the game at the grassroots level, and and seeing Andrew Wiggins and, and Dwight Powell playing in uh, in the Rising Stars game, and then people kind of getting an understanding that yeah, there is a basketball community in this city, and there has been for a very long time. And at the outset, maybe it wasn't as big as, like you're saying, in New York or Philadelphia or Los Angeles or pick any of the, the major U.S. cities, Chicago. Uh, but for people to come in here and, and to, to see that, uh, for it to play out, and forgetting how cold it was, uh, I know in my experience that uh, it was really it was an unbelievable weekend. Oh, yeah, man. I mean, it was... Uh just everything, you know, like, even just media day, and then the Hall of Fame stuff, and the celebrity, like, just, I mean, I know it's not any different than what any other city has every, every February, um, but, yeah, when it's in your own city, when you see, when you're proud of, you know, where you came from, and then you see these people that, uh, you grew up watching, whether it's Charles Barkley, or, you know, seeing Allen Iverson, and Shaq, like, all these guys in your city at the same time, and, genuinely enjoying their time there it's it's a pretty cool feeling for you what's uh what's the one memory if you had to pick one that'll really stick out Oof. and you don't have to mention kobe yet because i'm gonna absolutely get to that <laughs> um okay no you know um i i'd say uh, i i think it has to be uh, listen, the, the, Hall, the Hall of Fame press conference was cool, just seeing all those guys in one room and, and sitting so close to them, and I actually got to talk to Isaiah Thomas, not modern Isaiah, like Zeke Isaiah, um, and that was really cool to talk to him about, about the early years of the Raptors, that, um, that was kind of like a bucket list moment, it was awesome, but I think the coolest experience from the weekend was being there. While Aaron Gordon and Zach Levine just threw down dunk after dunk after dunk that was just blowing my mind and everyone in the arena's mind and you know the millions are watching mind. Like to think that in that moment, that's you know what all I was thinking was like, uh, you know, growing up, Saturday night of All Star Weekend was always such a big deal to me. Like as a kid, as a teenager, heck, even the last couple of years, you know, as a grown ass man, <laughs> it's always been such a big deal to me. The dunk contest, you know the pageantry around it, and then to be in the arena realizing you're witnessing one of the all-timers of dunk contests was, was really cool. Uh, like, I'll never forget, like, my, the one memory for me, John Chick, who I work with at the score, uh, is also an NBA writer, just literally laughing hysterically as they threw down dunks, you know, like, because it was just so incredible what they were doing, and 
and to know it was in Toronto and we were watching pretty much history was that, that was probably the coolest moment for me. What about you? I totally agree. Mm-hmm. Totally agree. That's what I had the exact same feeling. I was sitting there. Uh, sitting next to a bunch of writers and broadcasters that I'd followed and admired for for a very long time, and we were all in that state of awe, and I just kept on thinking, wow, I'll be able to tell people that I was fortunate enough to be in the building for one of those seminal dunk contests. Now, I have to to get to your budding friendship with uh, one retiring NBA uh, future Hall of Famer, Kobe Bryant, uh, for context for the audience, when the, the Lakers and, and Kobe played his, his final game in Toronto, uh, Joe was front and center at the press conference, I believe, got three three questions in to, uh, to Mr. Bryant and uh, even got uh, multiple laughs and smiles, very jovial atmosphere, which uh, in the past would be un-Kobe-like, is a little bit more in his repertoire now, but it even still was a little bit out of the ordinary. Uh, how uh, how was it catching up with uh, with your buddy Kobe Bryant over the All Star break? <laughs> yeah, I wish I wish I could say that he remembered uh, my face or my name or anything like that. Maybe he remembered my voice. I don't know. I uh, know it was cool, man. I mean, um, the first time when he was in town, like I know you even joke around that it was one of your favorite moments of the year. Uh, we were, we were sitting beside each other in the front row. Uh, for that first Kobe uh, presser this year in Toronto. It was cool, man. I mean, to be honest with you, growing up, like, I was never the biggest Kobe fan. I always respected him, obviously, like, as an all-time legend, but, uh, like, I wasn't, I wasn't one of these crazy Kobe fanboys that, you know, defends everything he does. Um, but there's still that respect there, you know, and there's still that, and I think the thing with Kobe is, even if he wasn't your favorite player, like, you know, I always personally liked LeBron better, there was other players I liked better, but even if Kobe wasn't your favorite player, there's a certain thing, there's like a, there's a certain presence about him um, that almost feels like he's the last of a, of a dying breed, maybe, or the last in there. I don't know what it is, but there's, there's a presence about him that there isn't, you know, with, with other legends, whether it's, you know, Tim Duncan, who's more of a quiet, reserved guy, or even LeBron, who I, you know, LeBron to me, and I don't think it's much of a question anymore, is the best player of his generation, so are all the Kobe fanboys. But at the same time, LeBron does not have the presence of Kobe Bryant, you know, when he walks into it. It's just, there's a difference there. Yeah, that's exactly it. Perfect word. There is a, just an aura about Kobe that I don't know that we'll ever see again. And, and to have him in that presser, you know, to be in a room with him and both of us sitting for a row. And, and the one thing, too, is, you know, you'll notice with Kobe, when someone asks him a question, he answers it. Like, he looks at you and he answers it. He, like, peers deep into your soul while he's answering God. Uh, so as much as I make a joke of it and joke around of it, like for real, and you know, those couple of questions where I kind of made him laugh or he was really, you know, like genuinely interested in answering the question, it was, it was pretty cool. I think it's a, a bit of a product, and I think you're right in, in the sense that we probably yeah. won't see anything like that, just like we haven't seen, like LeBron's, everything that's going around LeBron is, is different. Like it, it is also very, very strong. But it's not in the same sense, like the same kind of classic sense as it is with with Kobe. And I think that a lot of it has to do with a product of, of where he plays, how he's played, his story coming into the league, uh, kind of all the stuff that you can't make up between the Shaq and the Kobe stuff. And then, you know, the, the 35 points a game and 
carrying Smush Parker and, and Kwame Brown into the playoffs. And then like, he's just, for me, one of the, the most fascinating players. And uh, that was definitely a, a big part of the weekend to, to see him honored and to see not just how much respect he carries kind of over the game in general, but with, with the guys that are now sort of carrying that torch. Looking ahead to, to the end of the season and, you can mention the Raptors, but overall, kind of, what are the major storylines that you're looking to uh, over the next couple months as we head toward the playoffs? Uh, the Warriors for 73, for sure, I think is, you know, in terms of the regular season, I think that's the biggest storyline. Um, I think the Bulls at 72 and 10 were seen as maybe one of the more unbreakable records in basketball. Um, look, if the Warriors stay healthy and they, and, 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 Steve Kerr doesn't start winning and resting guys. Like, I think they're going to get it, man. They're that good. It's scary. And then I think, uh, I think coupled with that, I think, you know, the Spurs as well and, and a potential Warriors Spurs West final where it could be, it could legitimately be in terms of like records going into it, the biggest playoff matchup in NBA history, bigger than any finals matchup, bigger than anything. You know, you have to go back to the Lakers and the Bucks of I think it was like the early 70s or something. Last time two teams this good could meet in the playoffs. Uh, so I think those are two big storylines. And, you know, I think um, I, I, anytime you have LeBron still trying to get that win for Cleveland, I think it's a story. Win one for the land. One of the, one of the worst slogans, but uh, I'll let it slide. Yeah, the land, which... Oh. It is the worst. Uh, like, we get it. The main land is in the city's name. It's just awful, okay? It's awful. And I also don't know, like, I, when LeBron went back there and they started, like, apparently they were saying it was, like, always a nickname of the city. And I had never heard of it. I know we don't live anywhere near Cleveland. But I had never heard it. In all my years watching sports, which is all my life, I had never heard it in any sport of calling Cleveland the land. Then all of a sudden LeBron goes back there and apparently it's a nickname and now they're like trying to make it stick and I don't know if you've seen that commercial. He's like, oh, I've got to win one for the land. Like, no, just stop trying to force this. <laughs> He's got to have a stake. You're better than this, LeBron. Oh, yeah. Um, wanted to ask you about the Spurs, though. Are you with me that while you are right record-wise, if those two met up in a conference final, it would be... Uh, probably the highest winning percentage uh, that we've seen in a long time between the both teams combined. But I, I do think that OKC would actually give Golden State a better run than the San Antonio. Yeah. I completely agree with you. I'm saying it too, like to friends and coworkers. And I think I think the Spurs are better than the Thunder and would probably beat the Thunder in the playoff series, but I think the Thunder would give the Warriors a better matchup. Right. Yeah, I, I think so. And it's tough. And I mean, I, I always fall back to on the on the Spurs is that we've been counting the Spurs out in this Spurs group, understanding that, yes, five, six years ago, they didn't have LaMarcus Aldridge and they didn't have Kawhi Leonard, uh, especially this version of Kawhi Leonard. But it, it does feel a little bit unfair, even though I just did it to say, oh, you know, like the, the, the Thunder have a better shot against the, the Warriors than the Spurs do. Because they just keep on proving us wrong year after year. Yeah, yeah, that's fair to say as well. I mean, look, I, I, I wouldn't be, like, shocked if the Spurs won the title. Um, but, man, I, like, the Warriors of this race, they won it. 
and I don't know if this bird can keep up. Uh, you know, they're kind of a slower plotting team. Um, but yeah, I mean, you're right. It's definitely not fair to say I got wrecked or that they're not a good matchup for them. All right, so we're about to wrap up here, but before we go, uh, tell the people where they can find you, where they can find your work, and uh, maybe what you're what you're working on over the next little while. Yeah, they can find uh, score.com. I know what the, the author page is a very long URL, so I think I'll just direct them to go to my Twitter. It's Joseph Cachado um, uh, on Twitter, just my full name that you can probably find. And then I have my author page linked up there. Uh, in terms of the next little while, it's going to be a bit slower now because uh, we kicked into high gear for All Star Weekend and the uh, and the deadline. Um, but your usual stuff, you know, we do obviously cover any news, but I also usually you know, analyze any big stories in the NBA. And I'll try to, you know, when guys come to town, I'll try to get some one-on-one time with players on the opposing teams and write some features. I did something on the Wizards a couple of weeks ago, and, and definitely before the end of the year. I'm going to use some of the quotes and, you know, like some of the experience of Kobe to write kind of a send-off for the Mamba. Ooh, that would, uh, I look forward to that. Yeah, I've got, uh, I've got kind of an idea of how I want to do it. Uh, and it's, it's, tying it, it's tying it together with a very legendary song. And, and sometimes I think about it in my head and I think, oh, this could go really well and I'm going to be really proud of this. And then other times I think this could be really weird. So, uh, so stay tuned for that. Weird, weird can be good, man. What's that? Weird can it be good. It could, it could. So we'll see. We'll see if that works out. Well, that's definitely something to look forward to. Joe, uh, thanks for taking the time to do this. And uh, recharge, get ready for the playoff run, because it looked like, uh, looks like the Raptors are going to be going on. Yeah, right. yeah. We might, uh, we might be watching basketball here in mid-May, late-May. I don't really know how to process that. I'll be honest with you. We'll get there, and uh, we'll figure it out when we get there. All right, Joe, thanks for doing this, man. All right, thanks for having me.